we've had baptisms across the church this morning here at the 9.30 uh, at Catford, and also I've just been at Lee, and they are just a fabulous morning. Good to see a full house there as well. And I love baptisms. Do you love baptisms? I really love baptisms. I get quite excited about them. I think it's because you expect someone like me as a pastor or even as a senior pastor of Kings to tell you about Jesus. Yeah? It's like, well, that's not going to surprise me. I've come to church. There's a baptism. I know what I'm walking into. And the pastor's going to get up and he's going to talk about Jesus. Yeah? I mean, if that's a surprise to you, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, but that's what I'm going to do, okay? So you shouldn't be shocked by that. It's a baptism. But what's really powerful is people you know, yeah, have stood up in front of you and given testimony to how Jesus has changed their lives. He's forgiven them of their sin. He's brought hope, yeah? That's powerful. And it resonates into our story as well, doesn't it? That's why I love baptism. So I, 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 6th of Feb, 1983, day I got baptized in my testimony, I preached the gospel to all my sort of fellow young people and say, Jesus is alive, you've got to follow him. Yeah? So I love uh, baptism. So we're in a series based out of Luke's gospel, and I've called this message, A Lost and Found. Lost and Found. Um, I nearly called it, A Robe, A Ring and A Roast. Uh, but you'll you, you work it out that later, maybe. But it's lost and found. I don't know if you ever lost anything that's really important to you, and you can't find it for a few days. I, I, I don't know about you. I'm a bit like this. I, I'm always losing things. Yeah, I, <laughs> I lose my car keys. I lose my glasses all the time. Anyone do that? I lose my glasses. I put them in different places. I'm around. I have been known at home to walk into the kitchen and say, can't find my glasses anywhere. And Deb looks at me and she says, they're on your head. <laughs> she doesn't say you're full, but you kind of get the drift, you know. Um, I lost them last night. We went to the cinema, saw Emma. Great disappointment it was. Great disappointment. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? it? Even Deb thought it wasn't, you know. Oh, man. I saw, saw 19, uh, 1917. Have you seen that? Now, that's a movie. Okay, Emma, a bit slower. But anyway, got absolutely nothing to do with the passage. But last night, I thought I'd left my glasses in the cinema, and I came back, and I was all in a fluster. I was looking in the car. Oh, no, I've lost them, because we're going on a trip. Many of you know this, to southern Africa for three weeks, and these are my only working pair of glasses. And I was, oh, no, I've lost my glasses. I won't be able to read in Africa. Oh, woe is me. And I said, Deb, have you seen my glasses? She says, yeah, they're in my handbag. And I thought... I thought, why are they in her handbag? I mean, she's hiding them from me. That's why I, and I thought, no, wrong response, Steve. Thank you, darling. Let me just, I, all right, all right. So I need to get, she's getting a bit edgy on the front row here. She's <laughs> pointing at me saying, you put them in there. Oh, dear, it's like Genesis 1 and 2 in front of us, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's your fault. I blame you. Anyway. Oh, I once lost my wedding ring. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay, I'd been married a year and had a habit of taking it off and just mucking about with it. I was in a pub in London on a business uh, thing. Uh, I was used to sell computer systems in the printing industry. Uh, and uh, it was when new, new technology really was new technology. It was that long ago. And uh, I remember I was there with a colleague. I don't know if we were just before a meeting, but we were sitting in a bar. 
and I'm mucking about my ring, and the ring dropped on the floor. It was a carpeted sort of pub. It might have even been a hotel reception or something like that. I dropped, and immediately I'm like, oh no, I've dropped, I've dropped my ring. And so I'm looking and expecting to find it immediately. So I'm just sitting there, dropped it. Can't find it. I mean, I mean, I get up, I'm now on my hands and knees. So okay, I'm looking around under tables, under seats, stools, I'm looking around. I mean, you know me, after about three minutes, there are eight people in this pub. Everyone's up, everyone's involved, okay? And they're looking around, I can't find it. I think, what am I going to say to Deb? It's quite precious to me as well. I know the precious, what am I going to do? And my head's going like that. And I sit down and I replay it. Have you ever done that? Replay it. Do you know where I found it? I found it. I used to wear a double-breasted suit in those days. They were in then. And uh, I had a turn-up. Yeah, 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 I know. Amazing. Turn-up on the suit. It had fallen down and got caught in the turn-up of the suit. So it had been there all along. What a relief. Oh, there was much rejoicing, yeah? Because when something is lost and it's found, it's like, woohoo, yeah? And uh, this parable is a famous parable we're going to look at today. It's all about two sons that were lost, yeah? And one that's found. And the other, we're not sure what happens to him. And the danger with this uh, parable, the parable of what's known as the prodigal son, is... um, it's familiar territory. And so we can miss the impact of it, because we've heard it before and we're familiar with it. Even if you're here as a guest, you may have heard of it. You might have never read the Bible, but you've heard of, oh yeah, that prodigal thing, I've heard that. Well, let's read the story and let's try and read it with fresh eyes today. So Luke 15, verse 11, 32. Jesus continued. Ah, oh, that's right. He's continuing because the context is the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus is hanging out with sinners again and people that are far from God. And uh, Jesus tells a a, a series of parables. There's the lost sheep and the lost coin, which summarizes at the end of each of those little illustrations that when a sinner repents, there's great rejoicing. So that's the context. So he goes on. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all He had all his stuff and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Uh, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Bring him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. 
and celebrate, which means party. Yeah, it's party time. My son who is lost is now found. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's what's going on here. It's party in the Bible, okay? There's parties in the Bible. We turn the music up, we start to dance, okay? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder brother was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you've always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. It's great. It's a great, it's a great parable. It's a great story. Jesus, great storyteller. And uh, in the passage, the, the Pharisees are the older brother. They're the external, in theory, closer, but their hearts are revealed by their anger and frustration of a sinner forgiven and accepted home. Um, I want to recommend a book to you. If you are a Christian, been Christian for a while, this would be a great book, The Prodigal God. It's by Tim Keller. It's about my length, okay? I've read it twice, in fact, in preparation for this message. And it's all about this story, and it will bring uh, new insight to you, particularly about how we all have an older brother in us. Uh, but I just wanted to recommend that to you today, because throughout of Luke's Gospel, we have this interplay between the Pharisees and Jesus, and the fact that Jesus is happy to hang out with people that are far from God and sinners, in fact, it's the very heart of the gospel, isn't it? Luke 5, I could have given a number from Luke's gospel alone, but here's one. In Luke 5, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Or Luke 19, in the famous story about Zacchaeus, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Um... I once uh, lost my Bible. Actually, I lost my Bible and my daytimers a few years ago. Do you remember before iPads and things like that, we all had daytimers? Anyone? Now, some of you are pretending you're too young, okay, but you're lying, okay, but there are some of you that think, I don't know what he's talking about, okay, but there used to be a daytime. It's like a diary, and I had a big, thick, burgundy one, and I used to carry it around my Bible. And because you couldn't have your Bible on your phone, your iPad, so you had to carry a real one, yeah? And um, I'd obviously somewhere been out and about, and I don't know if you've ever done this, I put my Bible and my daytime on the top of my car and then drove off, yeah? And, and then I'm looking for my Bible and my daytime, I can't find them anywhere. Now, of course, what I really want to find is my Bible, 
okay? It's not that my daytime has got all my plans for the next 12 months. I really want to find my Bible. I was actually quite convicted by the fact that actually I really wanted to find my daytimer. And so there it is. I'm running around. Then there's a phone call into the office when the, Catford, when the offices were in Catford. And a lady has found my Bible and my daytimer. And she found it. She phoned the office. I was so, I was so delighted. I, I, I thanked her. I got a bunch of flowers, which I thought was appropriate. And I went round, knocked at the door of this, well, she gave me her address. Where it, was. it was a Muslim lady that answered the door. And uh, she said to me, she said, when I saw the Bible, I thought this must be a holy man. <laughs> Not sure about that response. Some of you are thinking, I know him too well. He's not one of those. Uh, but it was a lovely response, and I thanked her. I gave her a bunch of flowers. She was very appreciative. And she gave me my Bible. She gave me my daytimer. And the lost, precious Bible and daytimer were found. A great rejoicing well, there was in the Steve Tibbet world. Yeah? You must have had these. I mean, sometimes you lose things and you don't find them. It's not a happy ending. It's like you. Fortunately, on this occasion, my Bible and daytimer was found. This is a story of two sons. The first son, well, he wants, he wants his money, he wants his action now. And so he goes to his dad, and of course in Eastern culture, but in any culture, but in particularly in Eastern culture, to go and ask for your inheritance is like basically saying, Dad, I want you dead. So it's terribly dishonoring and will bring huge shame on the household. And everyone would know about it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, 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 those that were hearing it in their, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, it would have been a shocking story to tell. It would have been, guys, outrageous. But the father uh, responds positively to the, the appeal. I mean, this is a son that says, give me the money. This is a son that says, show me the money. Give me the money. I want the money now. I want to go and live my way. And the scripture says he went off. To a distant land, and he squandered his wealth in wild living. I mean, this son actually describes a part of our culture now. Our culture is like this. This is the culture of treasure, measure, and pleasure. I want more. The more monster in there. I want to accumulate. I want to be more. I get my value by how much I have. That's our culture. Particularly living in this great city. I love London. We love London. It's a great city to live in. But you see it all around. You have to be so careful because it can seep into your identity. Your identity is about how much you have and what you do. And you find this with people all the time. You talk to them and they're kind of like, oh, I'm a X. I'm a... And they're getting their identity about who they are in their life, maybe their work. Yeah? Well, ultimately, you get your identity in God. I found another book. I want to recommend this to you. So this one, a bit bigger. Um, this is by John Mark Comer. He's an American writer. The interesting thing about him, he's a next generation of teachers that are now addressing what has happened to our culture since 2008, where the, where the combination of the internet and the iPhone changed the culture as we know it, okay? which now means that we are all completely addicted to these things. I am. I've read the book that told me, and I still was last night watching a nice bit of telly with Debs. She says, get off your iPhone. Well, she didn't put it like that, but that's what she really meant. She said, can you not? I don't know about you. I keep 
No? No, okay, no one else in the room relating to this point. I mean, I have a, I have a gift of dual screening. I can do it. I sometimes can do it with three screens now. Watch sport on one, sport on the iPad, different channel, and still have the iPhone available. Yeah? Shocking, is it? I'm so sorry that no one else in the room can relate to me. Oh, there's an illustration the pastor has used. Oh, let's pray for him. No, no, it's all of us. In fact, this book goes on to say that in the 90s, we all grew up saying, what are we going to do when we only need to work three days a week? Because, you know, the advancement of technology means that we won't have to work. Well, it's not true. We're all running around and hurrying more than ever, yeah? And we're online more than ever. And he summarizes our culture powerfully, and he says society built around the twin gods of accumulation and accomplishment. That's what the younger son represents. And Jesus has powerful and challenging words for people that build their life on this. He says, like in Luke 12, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Or hmm, Luke 9, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their soul in another translation? So you can gain it all, but... Life is precious, it's passing, you don't know how many days you have, and we've seen tragic things just in, in our news in the last month or so, the tragic death of one of my all-time favorite basketball players, Kobe, I mean, it's just tragic, 40 with his daughter, with so much fame and money, and you know, you just think, and then in a moment, and then uh, last night, the uh, uh, Caroline... Flat, that's right. Um, I once wrote a message, should a Christian watch, what's the program called? Love Island. Love Island. Some of you know it, do you? All right, very good. <laughs> yeah, should a Christian watch Love Island? Yeah, if you're aware of the program, yeah? Um, but it's tragic. So much fame and success. And then in the era of social media, so much shame called out when things go wrong. The first son comes to his senses. He says, oh, I know, my, my father, I can't come, I can never be accepted as a son again. My father could never take me back as a son or a daughter. He couldn't take me back as a son. I could come back as a hired hand. And actually being a hired hand is far better than uh, uh, working and being in pigs. Pigs for a Jew would have been, this is the lowest of low, okay? So he comes back. And he's just coming, and then you have this lovely moment in the story, I know you're familiar with it, where the father sees his son, and it says he has compassion on him, and he runs towards him. Now, middle-aged Eastern men don't run. They don't. That's why when it talks of Zacchaeus picking up and running, it's like shocking. Uh, Eastern men walk slowly. You'll see this. If you ever watch it on the television, you'll see that they walk slowly. I mean, you're the honored leader, host. You've got other people that are going to run around for you, so you don't need to run. So for that, even run is shocking to the hearers and reveals something of the heart of God, the Father's heart. In fact, I, I wonder whether these, uh, these few verses are more about the Father than the two sons. Yeah? A Father's heart. Um, 
I, I've experienced this in the last couple of weeks. I've become a grandfather. Yeah, I have. Thank you. Thank you for it. Yeah. I know some of you are thinking, I don't look old enough to be a grandfather. I know. I do understand that's a bit of a... But no, my eldest son, Ben, has had his first son, Isaac. And we had my dad down last yesterday visiting with my mum. And we got a picture of the four generations. It's quite a moving moment. My dad, me, my son, and his son, Isaac. Oh, man, Isaac is dominating midfield. That's what I would call, you know, that's a phrase, a football phrase, when someone just dominates the game from midfield. Well, Isaac, he is dominating everything. He's just taken over. And we all love it. Yeah. But you see the heart of a father for a son in a moment like that. And uh, he welcomes him back. He says, my son's returned. He's come home. Come on, give him a robe. Give him a ring. Give him a roast. Which would be very expensive to kill the fattened calf. That's for special occasions. It's not normal. So there's a big celebration. Uh, if you're a parent here, you understand this. Have you ever lost one of your kids? Like, really lost them? Like, you're like, oh, man, it's horrible. Yeah, it's like all oh, your worst nightmares. And your head goes into overdrive, and you think of all the what-ifs. It's horrible. We lost one of our sons once, Josh. On, um, we were on a, a beach in Cornwall. We were surfing. Well, I wasn't surfing. As you get older, you watch your kids surf, okay? And... Um, so there was about, I was there with my brother and his wife Dawn and his two daughters, Esther and Bex, and then there was Ben, Josh and Sam, okay? And Josh was about eight or nine, I think, something like that. And uh, we went down, and I don't know if you've ever been to Cornwall, but you might have seen it on the television. These are long beaches, and you go down, and everyone wears wetsuits now, okay? So you, and your job as a parent is you sort of stand in the waves as they come in, and you're standing there, and your job is to watch them. But they go out, and they're very difficult to see. There's about 150, 200 kids, waves going in and out, and you just kind of don't go too far, okay? And then when you come in, just say hi, and all that kind of thing. We're standing there like that. And then they go out, and you, they go out, and you try to see them. And then you're chatting, and they're, where are they going? Oh, yeah, hi. And, and then they come in, and there's Ben and Sam and Esther and Bex, and you go, where's Josh? Where's Josh? And Ben goes, oh, I don't know. Like, well, can you go out there? Can you look out for him? Just give us a wave. They go, oh, yeah, okay. And they go off like there's not a care in the world. And you're there, and you're, just, you're starting to wise up now. You're like, okay? And as the dad, you're trying to remain cool, because Deb is not remaining as cool as you're trying to be. Okay? It's like, where is he? Where is he? It's like mother, kind of, where is he? And I'm like, oh, it'll be all right, it'll be all right, but uh, he still doesn't turn up, doesn't come in on a wave. And so your head's going, and so you're now you're sort of starting to pace. Has he been taken down on the, sort of drifted on the tide, and you're up and down, and you're walking, you're walking. Anyway, we did this for about five minutes. He is nowhere. There are kids everywhere. It's like, do we speak to the lifeguard? What do we do? Now, this is one of these very long beaches. It felt like four or five miles, but it's only about half a mile to walk up the beach. So I say to Deb, look, you stay here looking for him. I'll go back and see if he's just come back to be with Grandma and Papa that's sitting with all the kind of deck chairs and things like that. Deck chairs? That's an old word, isn't it? Deck chairs. Anyway, you know what I mean. So I'm now, and I'm walking up the beach. Have you ever, have you ever walked where you're trying to not be sort of... <laughs> You don't want to sort of run, but you're kind of walking pretty fast. You know, it's, it's kind of like, this is serious. So I'm walking pretty fast. Yeah. And uh, we get back. 
And there he is, Josh, sitting there with a flapjack and a cup of tea or something without a care in the world. And you see him and you have this parenting experience, which has got mixed emotions, yeah? There's, there's a big relief and just like... And then there's a... Okay, yeah, we don't parent like that around here, just so you know, okay, that's it. But internally, you think, yeah! All right, yeah, I want to... But really, you're really happy, and then you go down, and oh, Josh is when mum's there, and you kind of get told off, Josh, but you've not really been told off because you were lost, and now you're found. And that's what this parable is about. In your relationship with God, all of us at one point were lost. Most of us in this room have been found, and it's great rejoicing. The Father rejoices over you, yeah? And you kind of think the story should end there. It's like, what a great story, Jesus. She really communicates the gospel. A father full of grace and mercy that will send his son to die for us to take your sin so that you can know the welcome home of heaven. And you think that's where it should stop. And it would be a great champagne moment to kind of end the message. But it doesn't. There's another son, another lost son. The first one is easier to see, but the, the other one's a little bit more subtle because he, he externally looks like he's doing everything fine, but actually internally his heart is not good. And the second son represents our culture as well. The second son represents our culture because the second son's position to God is understood by comparison, by comparison, which basically means a lot of our culture that's rooted in a humanistic worldview of you're basically all good, and increasingly you can choose uh, to be and even identify what you are, yeah? It's got so far away from God's definition of what truth is and the way to live, is that you don't need a saviour because your feelings shape your actions and justify your actions, so why do I need saving? I learned this years ago when I did a, a what was called a just looking group for two guys. They come to the church, not this one, the other one I used to be a pastor in, uh, back in Bedford, uh, you know, 25 years ago. And... Uh, their wives came to church, but the guys didn't. They're, they're those type of guys, yeah? You know? That happens. And um, so I said, I'd like to meet with you to talk about Jesus. And they, they were good, good guys. They were happy to meet. And we chatted. We, did a, we met for about an hour and a half on six occasions across six weeks, once a week. We got to week five, and we got this far in discussion. They got this far. They believed that Jesus was a reliable historical figure. They believe that. They actually believe that he died on a cross. They actually believe that he was raised from the dead. And so I said, why don't you become a Christian? Only to discover that they didn't think they were bad enough. Yeah? They thought, well, actually, if I go to heaven, God's so loving, he'll just accept me anyway. I said, no, 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 no. No, that's not the gospel. That's not the story. The gospel is all have fallen short of all, all have fallen short of God. So I said, I tell you what, if you are open to this, why don't we spend an evening talking about what sin is as defined by the Bible, not by your comparison to other people's lives? <laughs> so we had a really fun evening that night, you know. 
And that's what happens. Because a lot of people in our culture actually just don't think they need a saviour. They think they're basically good. And if you say to them, and you're not basically good, they'll get really angry with you. And quite forcefully, and might even attack you. So if you say something that's contrary to what they believe, it can get, particularly in social media, and get quite aggressive. Yeah? That, that's, that's the older brother in this story. But both need saving. Both need saving. So we're going to respond to God this morning. Um, uh, we're going to do it by singing a song. It's a great song, it's got great words, it talks about the Father calling you home. And I'm going to give anyone here an opportunity to become a Christian or come back to God, come home, be a prodigal returning home, or maybe to get baptized because you're a Christian but you've never been baptized, but you've, you've seen baptism today and you think, I need to do that. So that's going to be the response. But before I do that, let me just, if the band could come up as I'm just going through this, it would be great, um, is these words from the song. Are you hurting are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. As I prepared this message, I felt that God was calling some of you home. Yeah? Some for the first time. Some to return as prodigals. Some to take another step of faith in the act of believers' baptism. So let's stand together, let's sing, and can I ask you just to be open to God and see if God is speaking to you as we um, respond to him this morning.